You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, this is week number uh, three of our series called Back to the Basics. Everybody say that. Say, Back to the Basics. And what we're doing is, uh, you know, I just felt led in my heart over the, the summer months to take some time, go back and cover some truths again uh, that are elementary maybe, and, and, you know, maybe not for some, but that, well, let me say it this way, that we have heard before, we're going to look at our foundation scripture in just a second, but that's exactly what it says, is that these are things that we probably have all heard before, but we need to go back and refresh ourselves. You know, if you're any type of highly technical career, I know, um, you know, for uh, pilots, for airline pilots in particular, you know, they have to every year go back and refresh, take some training because things, you know, technology changes and so forth. And, and that's what we're doing. We're going back and we're getting some additional training on how to live a victorious life in Christ. And, and uh, I'm excited. I think that's what you guys want. How many of you want to walk in everything God has for you? And receive it. So that's what we're doing. So let's look at our foundation scripture, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 1, reading from the Passion Bible. It says this This is why it is so crucial that we be all the more engaged and attentive to the truths that we have heard, and uh, so that we do not drift off course. You know, I know a lot of Christians uh, that. Uh, you know, want something new. They want the newest and the latest revelation. Well, that's fine, sweetheart, but why don't you live what you've already heard in the past? Well, all right. So all of us could stand some remedial training so that we make sure that we haven't drifted off course. And listen, I want you to know this. There's nothing new. Uh, it's The Bible is the Bible. And, um, you know, there it might be new revelation to you, but uh, God wants to make sure that we are living and walking in everything, even the things that we have heard before. So in our first week, we looked at what faith is, what faith in God's Word is, and, and how it works by looking at the life of Abraham and how God brought Abraham, started him out with building hope in his heart. And then he took him from a level of hope and then moved him over into a level of faith. And what we learned from that is, is that we all start with hope. If you don't have hope, you don't have the capacity for faith. So what God does through his word is begins to build hope on the inside of us. And we said, uh, you know, of course, a lot of us, we think hope means I'm wishing for and that's not what hope means. Hope is a confident expectation of something that will happen. And what we learned from Hebrews 11.1 1 is that faith takes those things that are in our future, that we hope will happen, and bring them into the realm of now where we believe that they are ours now. Okay, it's a title deed, Hebrews 11.1 1 said. And then uh, last week, we looked at how do we get faith. And you don't pray for more faith. Occasionally, I'll hear you know, a Christian song on the radio where somebody says, Lord, give me more faith or something like that. And that's not how faith comes. Faith comes originally and starts out by hearing the word of God. 
And then when, as a believer, faith is fed and developed as you feed on the Word of God and then as you exercise it, as you use it, as you release your faith, it begins to grow and it will get stronger. And so the other thing that we talked about last week was this, is that we all have the same faith, excuse me, potential. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says that God has dealt to every man, every believer, the measure of faith. So when you received Christ and you got born again, God made a deposit of his faith down on the inside of you. And then it's up to us whether that faith is developed and it grows depending on what we do with it. And so we all start with the same potential. And you think about the goodness of God. You know, he, he, he puts us all on the same playing field. So, so the depth of where we go in our walk with the Lord is more up to us than it is to God. Okay, and so the same faith potential is available to all of us. And uh, the good news is there's no limit to what you can believe God for. If God says you can have it, then you can have it. And it's up to us and the potential that we have to be able to believe God for it. And I want to say this, whatever God has called you to do, he has equipped you for that. And so you have the, the, the right, if you will, to believe him for everything that will fulfill your purpose. And so there is no limit on that. Now in this lesson, in this week, we're going to begin to look at how do we put our faith to work? How do we release our faith? How do we get it to uh, go to work for us where it's not just this dormant thing on the inside of us, but, but it's out there and it's working, all right? So here's the first thing that I want you to write down on your notes. And, and by the way, I didn't ask, but does anybody need a handout? We have some in the back. If you need a pen, just hold your hand up and we'll get one to you. But here's the first thing I want you to write down, and that is this. Faith is released or put to work by words and action. Faith is put to work. It's released in our lives by our words and our actions. Now, the goal is to have both of those working together and, and synced up, if you will, with one another. In other words, you can't be saying one thing and doing another and vice versa. Your words and your actions must line up with the Word of God, but the way that we put our faith to work is through what we say and then through what we do, all right? Now, what, what I really felt impressed to do, and I, to be honest with you, when I was studying for today's message, uh, I really kind of wanted to go in a little bit different direction and it's like the Lord told me, he said, no, put the brakes on it just a little bit, slow down, and I want you to cover this part first, and then we can move into the next part. So here's what we're going to talk about today, and that is this. Write this down, please. We need to understand the difference between a confession of God's word, speaking the word, unto faith, and a confession of faith. They're two entirely different things. And sometimes we, in, in trying to release our faith, we mix the two up and, and we're not getting the results that God wants us to, to have. Somebody said, well, I just didn't know this was so technical. Well, uh, it is, okay? And, and we have to be very specific. 
God is a detailed God. I hope you understand that. If you spend any time in the Word, you'll realize that. And so when we look at these principles, we need to understand that there are details that go along with them. So we need to understand the difference between a confession of God's Word unto faith and a confession of God's Word of faith. All right? So what we're going to focus on today is the confession of God's Word unto faith. Now, what do I mean by that? What am I, what am I saying? Well, let me look at the latter part first, and that is this. There is a place that God wants to bring us all to where faith is working so strong in our lives that we begin to function like the Lord Jesus. And when you and I speak words of faith, they come to pass. Okay. In other words, Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, he said, whosoever shall say unto the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will come to pass. He'll have whatever he says. So what Jesus said is that you and I, if we believe we can speak the mountain. Now he wasn't literally saying you need to go talk to the Smoky Mountains and stuff. No, he was talking about things in your life. But you can speak to those things, and by faith, if you will believe what you say comes to pass, you can have what you say. Now, that is a confession of faith. And what the Lord, I started to go to that part today, and the Lord said, no, hold on. Let's build a little foundation before we get to that part, because here's why. A lot of us believers want to move to that phase without doing the phase we're going to talk about today. And we're coming up short in releasing our faith. And so this is, it's because we're bypassing this one particular step. All right? Now, we are building our faith in our hearts with the words we're speaking. Now, let me go to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. And let's look at verses 7 through 9. Now, just to give you a little groundwork here, this is uh, Joshua has just assumed or been handed the leadership responsibility over the children of Israel. Moses has died. And so uh, Joshua is now responsible to lead uh, the two and a half million uh, Jewish people, the children of Israel, into the promised land. Big job. I don't know if I'd want that job. How would you like to be a deacon in the church uh, and then all of a sudden, God taps you on the shoulder one, one day and says, no, I need you to be the pastor of two and a half million people. That'd be a big change, wouldn't it? Particularly when you've been following in the footsteps of somebody before you, and all of a sudden, they're not there anymore, and so now you have to fill their shoes. So this is an overwhelming responsibility that God has given Joshua and so God speaks to Joshua in, jo in Joshua chapter 1 and gives him some instructions. So let's see what he said. He said, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. And then verse 8, we're, we're all familiar with. But the book, or this book of the law, or the word of God, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, 
that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And then verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now I want to back up to verse 8. Notice the first thing that God says to Joshua is this, or the first instruction is, this book of the law shall not depart out of your what? Your mouth. Notice he didn't say, uh, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mind. It shall not depart out of your hands. It shall not depart out of your brain. He said, no, it shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. So what we see here is there must be a spiritual principle behind this because let me tell you what God was endeavoring to do for Joshua. He knew not only the leadership responsibility that was going to be required for this new position, but he also knew there was going to require a great level of faith in what he was to carry out because not only was he leading the people, and it wasn't, he wasn't doing it in his own strength, he was doing it in the wisdom and the leadership of God, and they had adversaries that they needed to overcome, and God knew they were not going to be able to overcome them in their own strength. They were going to have to rely on God and his word, and they were going to have to do it by faith. Does that sound familiar? Okay, that's exactly what God expects us to do. Yeah, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you have some adversaries, not people, not your coworkers, but adversaries spiritually that do not want you to receive your promised land. They do not want you to be able to walk in what God has promised you. And so what God is saying to Joshua and God is saying to us is that for you to walk in everything God has for you is going to require a level of faith that you have not yet attained to. So what I need you to do is I need you to keep the word in your mouth and then meditate on it day and night. Why? I'm going to paraphrase so that you'll be able to believe me to do what I have promised you that I can do. Okay? Now, are you tracking with me? All right, so here's, here's why God instructed Joshua to do this, is that we start out needing to speak the word of God, as mentioned in this verse, so that we get it into our hearts. And thus doing, it... it, it builds faith, it builds the capacity of faith in our hearts, and that is how you are going to get the word uh, rooted down in your heart is by speaking it continually over your life, okay? Now, here's the funny thing. There are things in God's word that you might start out declaring that you, at the moment you start with it, do not have the faith capacity to be able to receive it. But by speaking it, you're building that faith capacity in your spirit so that you can begin to receive those things and walk in it. All right? Are you still here? Okay, so uh, let me go to the next thing so you can write this down, please. 
God created us to be able to hear our own words and build a capacity to believe what we say in our hearts. So God designed you and me with the capacity that we are able to hear our own words and we build a capacity to believe those words and what we say in our hearts. Now, I'll, I'll promise you this, okay? I know you guys love me, but, but you might not believe everything I say, but I promise you one thing, you believe everything you say. Have you ever dealt with anybody that's a pathological liar? Okay, <laughs> you don't need to raise your hands or point to somebody nearby or anything like that, okay? No, here's why people fall into that. There are people, and I've you know, been around some like this, that have told a lie so much that they begin to believe their own lie. They begin to believe their own words. Why? Because they have told and spoken that so much that they have built a capacity in their own heart to be able to believe that. Now, you and I on the outside can look at it and say, do they not see that that is not the truth? No, actually they can't. They have built that into their hearts so strongly that they begin to believe their own lie. Well, if you could do that with a lie, why can't you do it with the truth? Why can't you build the Word of God into your own heart so that you have the capacity to believe it? Okay, now, here's why this is so very important. Write this down, please. If you do not understand the importance of speaking God's Word, you will never be able to overcome the incredible power of doubt. Now, I'll explain that in just a second, okay? If you do not understand the importance of speaking God's Word, you'll never be able to overcome the incredible power of doubt. Doubt is a very powerful thing. Now, let me show you what doubt is. Doubt are thoughts that come into your mind, or doubt is thoughts that come into your mind that are contrary to what the Word says. So if you're standing in faith and you're believing God, doubts will come telling you that what you're believing for will not happen and it will not come to pass. So, and I'm jumping ahead just a little bit, but I want to tell you this, you need to be able and learn and train yourself to speak the Word of God because that is the only way you're going to defeat thoughts of doubt that come to you. So you release your faith, let's say, and you're believing God to supply a need in your life. Well, if nothing changes in the natural where you're looking around your life and you don't see anything changing, then those thoughts of doubt begin to come to your mind that say, you know what, it's not happening. It's not going to happen this time. You know, God's forgotten about you. And those thoughts, you know, just come and begin to bombard your mind. Well, unless you open your mouth and speak the word concerning those doubts, you'll never be able to overcome them. Okay, so that's why this, this is so, so very important. So, because as we'll study in the future, the best way to get a hold of your imagination and your thoughts, and I don't know about you, but I have a vivid imagination. Anybody in here ever struggle with worry? 
Oh, am I the only one? Okay, praise the Lord. Will y'all pray for your pastor, okay? You know what worry is? Worry is where those thoughts of doubt had come into your mind and you sit there and dwell on them and start going over and over and over. And then you begin to picture what's going to happen as a result of the worry, okay? Well, the only way you're going to be able to overcome that is to open your mouth. You know, the scripture says that Jesus would face a situation and, and he would, you know, a thing. I'm not talking about people encountering him. I'm talking about a thing. And the Bible says, and Jesus answering said. Read, read in the Gospels and you'll see that. Now here's, here's a thing that has not posed a question in, that we can hear with our ears, but Jesus would answer it. You're going to have to learn how to answer stuff in your life. That's the only way you're going to be able to overcome it is you're going to have to answer it. Somebody says, but it's not asking me anything. Yes, it is. Okay, and it's going to demand an answer from you. And the way that you're going to have to do that is by having the word of God in your mouth. Now, I know there's some that label us the name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it bunch. Okay, listen, that is not what I believe, and that's not what we're teaching from the Word of God. However, if that's the persecution that I have to endure because I do believe these things, then so be it. Okay, but that's not, I, I'm not proposing to you that you can just open your mouth and, and say something and, and like, you know, I believe, I believe by the end of this week, I'm going to have $10 million. Okay. See, that's, that's where we have said stuff foolishly and we've given people that impression, all right? I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape, or form implying that we do foolish things like that. First of all, if you don't have new pair of socks faith, you don't have $10 million faith. Are you listening to me? Okay, so I can promise you that. Now, uh, anyway, well, praise the Lord. We'll, we'll move on. You know what I'm, I'm trying to say. Okay, now let's go to a scripture in Philemon. This is a little book in the New Testament, a little letter that Paul wrote in Philemon, and I want to read verses four through six, and I'm going to read it from the Bible in basic English. And it says this, I give praise to God at all times. He's writing this letter to Philemon, talking about the, the believers that are with him. And make prayer for you, hearing of the love and the faith which you have to the Lord Jesus and to all the saints. Verse 6, that the faith which you have in common with them, with your, your brothers and sisters, look at this, may be working with power in the knowledge of every good thing in you for Christ. Okay, so let me just that last verse again, the last verse six, that the faith which you have in common. You remember I said every believer has the measure of faith. So every believer sitting in here this morning has faith. All right, so he says that the faith which you have in common with everybody else may be working with power. Notice he didn't say that you just have faith in your hearts. It's not enough to just have faith in your heart in, in the sense of, and it's not doing anything. All right, he said, I want your faith to be working with power. How? 
in the knowledge of every good thing in you for Christ. All right, so here's what I want us to see. And write these things down, please. Paul is letting us know that it is essential for us to have, and here's what I want you to write down. First, a knowledge of exactly who you are in Christ. Number one, a knowledge of exactly who you are in Christ. You need to know who you are in Christ. It's not enough for me to know that for you. You need to know that for yourself, who you are in Christ. What does it mean? Uh, you know, I'm an old sinner saved by grace. No, that's not who you are in Christ. The scripture says you were an old sinner, you got born again, and now you are the righteousness of God in Christ. All right? You, you need to know I'm a new creation. I'm not the same person I was before I got born again. I'm brand new. You need to know that I am seated together with him in heavenly places, far above all principality and power. You need to quit looking at the devil in the eye and start looking down on him because that's where you're seated. That's who you are in Christ. And, and as you're reading through the New Testament, particularly in the letters that Paul wrote, look for scriptures that refer to in him, in whom, in Christ. Because that's who you are. The scripture says that in Christ, we have redemption. I'm redeemed. I've been bought back. I've been bought with a price. That's what the scripture says. And so you need to know exactly who you are in Christ. And when you find those things out, you need to be regularly declaring those things over your life. Now, here's the good news. As a little help and a resource, on our website, we have made available to you a whole list of scriptures that tell you who you are in Christ. I've done all the homework for you. All you need to do is go and download those scriptures and begin to declare those things over your life. All right, here's number two. You need to have an exact knowledge of what Jesus has purchased in your redemption. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he shed his blood? What was the whole, just so I can go to heaven? Well, that's, that's a, a part of it. But what did he purchase for you? What did he buy for you? The Bible says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. God doesn't want you going through life with a mind that is worried, agitated, and torn up. He wants you to live and to walk in peace. That's something that was bought for you. Salvation was bought for you. Healing was purchased for you. Those things were bought and paid for and belong to you. They are yours. Now, you can't walk in them unless you receive them and take possession of them. All right? And here's number three. You need to have a knowledge of every good thing that God has placed in you by Christ. What does that mean? Well, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You need to know, John, 1 John says this, that you have an anointing on the inside of you by the Holy Ghost that will bring revelation knowledge. He'll, bring, he'll reveal to you truth from the Word of God. 
You need to know that that has already been deposited down on the inside of you. You need to know you are a hundred times bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. And see, here's something you need to understand. The devil is hoping to goodness you never find out what I'm telling you this morning. Because if you do and begin to walk in it, his days are numbered controlling you and dictating to you what you can do and what you can be. Now, um, let me back up to this verse six again in Philemon. Notice that it says that the faith which you have in common with them may be working with power. Now, in the Greek, okay, let me run through this. Now, write this or, or just make a mental note of this. The phrase working with power in that verse six comes from the Greek word energeo. Now, it's where we get our English word energy or energized. Anybody ever heard of the energizer bunny? Okay, keeps on going. All right, same Greek word, and, and it's where we get the word energized. So what Paul is telling us is this, that the faith which you have in common with them may be working with power. Or in other words, it may be energized in the knowledge of every good thing in you for Christ. Now here's why this is so important. All right, now I'm going to give you a little illustration and I'm going to kind of date myself, and, and there's some in the room that can remember this. How many of you remember when you, if you wanted to get in a car and go somewhere, you had to have a key? Anybody remember that? Okay. Now, nowadays, and I have one, but nowadays, if I have a key fob, and all I have to do is have that in the car somewhere, and then I can press a button and the car starts. But I'm talking about back in the day when you had to put a key in the ignition, either on the column or on the dashboard, and you had to, if you wanted that car to crank up, you had to push in the clutch and then turn the key, or if you had an automatic, you just turn the key. Anybody remember those days? All right, what happens when you turn the key? Well, the, the engine receives power, the starter is is cranked and then it causes ignition to happen in the engine and the engine cranks up and then you can go wherever you need to go. So what is required in the, in the older model cars is the key. But even with the key in your hand, unless you put it in the ignition and turn it, you aren't going anywhere, right? Okay. All right. Anybody remember those days? Okay, how many of you remember, just a little side note, how many of you ever got in a car that was a straight drive and didn't push in the clutch when you turned the ignition? How many of you remember what would happen? Let me tell you a little story on myself real quick. When I was a little boy, this is in the 60s, my dad and my grandfather had to go to the drugstore for something. And uh, this is back in the days before seatbelts were mand mandated. And... Uh, I was just a little guy. I could stand up. We had a one bench seat that went all the way across the front seat of the car. It was an old Chevy Chevelle. And I could stand up on the front seat. You know, this is back in the day when you, if you were on the highway, you know, if you wanted to take a nap, you could crawl in the back window of the car. Anybody remember that? Okay. All right. I know I'm dating myself a little bit, but anyway, so my dad had pulled this car up in front of the drugstore. Now this is Back in the day, and they're still kind of like this, but 
they had a wall that went up and then windows on top of the wall. So you, you couldn't see the entire store, but you could see this much of everybody that's walking around in the store. So we're sitting there and my dad goes into the drugstore and my grandfather, and it's me, and I'm standing up on the front seat of the car. And my grandpa, you know, he was a man of few words anyway. And uh, so he's just kind of sitting there and we're just kind of looking around. Well, uh, my dad had evidently gotten what he needed to get, purchased it, and was on his way out the store. And I could see this much of him passing by the window going towards the door. And I got excited knowing he was coming back and we were getting ready to go. And so I reached down in that Chevy Chevelle, which was a straight drive, by the way, and my father had left it in gear and I reached down and turned the ignition. Well, those you youngsters don't know what happens when, when you do that, but when you do that, it causes the car, because it's in gear, to start moving. Well, when I did it, there was a car parked in front of us, and it caused our car to jump, and it hooked our bumper onto the bumper of the car in front of us. And I just remember, I can remember this to this day. My grandpa, who hardly said anything, he turned around and looked at me and said, see what you've done now? Because what happened is, by this time my dad's coming out of the store, my grandpa and my dad had to get on his car and the car in front of us and jump on the bumper to get them unhooked so we could leave and go home. Everything after that is I blacked out on. I don't know why. I guess I got in trouble or something. But anyway, so side story that, you know, probably has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But you understand what happens when you turn the key in ignition. All right, here's why I'm giving you this illustration. The key is this right here, okay, is the Word of God. The key is the Word of God. The ignition is your mouth. The ignition is your mouth. So what we have to do is we have to put the key in the ignition and then turn the ignition in order to get energy out of it. So in other words, the key is turned in the ignition when you open your mouth and begin to declare God's word over you. And what happens, Paul said, is that your faith becomes energized. In other words, the motor, the engine of your faith begins to crank and turn over and, and start up to where you have energy now being produced. So the key is the word of God. The ignition is your mouth. So you put the key in the ignition. You turn the key by opening your mouth and declaring the word of God. And then when you do that, the good things that God has deposited on the inside of you, including your faith, become activated and energized and will begin to work for you. Are you tracking with me? All right. So the key has no energy unless you put it in your mouth and turn the ignition. All right. So you have to put it in your mouth and you have to turn the ignition. So write this down, please. Turn the key in your ignition and energize these truths until they become truth in you. 
This is true. This book is true. But it, it does you no good until you get the truths in here into your heart. Okay? Am I helping anybody? Okay? So here's the challenge for us. We need to quit speaking negatively about ourselves and begin to bring what we say into agreement with the truths of God's word. You know, I learned a long time ago, and, and it, listen, it's not easy. You have to break yourself of these things. But you ever done something and went, oh, I'm so stupid. Okay, that's, it's just natural, okay? People do it. I used to do it. But I had to learn to break that because I am not stupid. The scripture says I have the mind of Christ deposited down on the inside of me. And so, you know, there's things that, that we say about ourselves that are contrary to the word of God. The scripture says, we talked about this list last week. In Joel, it says, let the weak say, I am strong. Quit walking around and saying, I'm so weak and tired. I'm so weak and tired. Oh, Lord, I'm so tired and weak. No, and I'm not saying you may not be physically tired. If you are, get some rest. But at the same time that you're resting, declare, I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. All right? Now, see, God's word, as I've said, says you have the mind of Christ. So begin saying, I have the mind of Christ. The scripture in Proverbs says, the memory of the just is blessed. Quit declaring, oh, I'm so forgetful. You know, by the time I get to be old, I'm probably going to have that Alzheimer's disease. No, quit saying things like that over yourself. Declare, no, my mind will stay sharp until the day I go home to be with the Lord, and then it's going to be even sharper. All right? If, if, if the Scripture says that Jesus took your infirmities, bore your sicknesses and diseases, and by His stripes you are healed then begin to declare that you are healed. The scripture says that Jesus paid a great price to get the blessing of God on you, so begin to declare over your life. And I'm not just saying make it a cliche. I'm talking about mean it from your heart. I am blessed and cannot be cursed. Okay? Now, as I said, you... Turn the ignition, you turn the key in the ignition by getting your mouth in agreement with God's word. Uh, here's why I emphasize that, that. God will not do this for you. You have to do it. You and I have to put some effort into this. Now God has a part and you have a part. But your part is for you and me to turn the key in the ignition by declaring God's word over our lives. All right? Now, I want to show you some scriptures that, that really address this, okay? So as you start speaking what God's word says about you, all your potential that God has invested in you will begin to become real to you. God desires for us to get into agreement with him and say what he has already said. Okay? Now, let me show you a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, 
And by the way, that includes holy sistering. Just wanted to see if you were still awake. Okay. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Everybody say confession. Christ Jesus. Now, in the Bible, there are three different types of confession. There is the confession of sin. There's the confession of God's word. And then there's a confession to one another where we confess our faults to each other. Okay, now we're not talking about confession of our sin or confession of our faults here. There is a third confession, and that's what we're talking about, speaking God's word. So Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Make a mental note of that word confession. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. It says, seeing then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, what's interesting is Hebrews 3.1 says that Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. What does that mean? An apostle in, in the Greek language just means this, one who is sent. And then he's a high priest, meaning he is the one that is representing you to God. So what this is saying is, Jesus is the one who is sent to represent what you say before God. Oh, do we need to back up and look at it again? Okay. Notice it says, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. So when you and I speak the word of God, Jesus responds to that. Okay? I know sometimes you might be declaring the word over your life and it seems like your words are going about as far as from here to that chair. You need to understand something. When you are declaring the word of God over your life, it reaches to the highest heaven. Okay? Jesus is the sent one who his, part of his purpose is to take what you say and bring it before the heavenly father as your high priest. Are, are you tracking with me? Okay, then look at this verse. So seeing we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now here's what is so important about this word confession in both of these verses. Here we go. The word confession in the Greek language, is the Greek word homologia. Now, homologia is a compound word. Homo means same. Logia comes from the Greek word logos, which means words declared or words spoken. So what this word means in the Greek is same thing spoken. Okay? It means as if I was to say the same thing that you just said. All right? Are you tracking with me? Okay. Now, what, what does this mean? All right? The word confession here in the Greek, now this is what the Greek paints. It is not something that one person can say. In other words, you will never, if you were a Greek person and we were in the Greek culture, you would never refer to something I said by myself as a homologia. A, a homologia 
is something that it is impossible for only one person to declare, for one person to say. It means that you repeated something somebody else has already said. Now, keep in mind, this is all that word confession, all right? Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you are living life? Okay, did, did you bring your, your happy shouting shoes this morning? Okay, how many of you, uh, thank you for those two people that did. How many of you are living life? How many of you are ex experience challenges in life and problems in life? We all do, okay? Now, uh, are those troubles, challenges, and problems here on earth, or are they happening in heaven? Huh? Say it, say it good and loud. They're here on earth. Heaven doesn't have any troubles and challenges. Okay? All right? So those things are happening here in the earth. Now, pay attention. Pay attention. This is hugely important. Jesus is still a man in a human body. Now, he has a glorified body. He's in heaven. Where is his mouth? Not a trick question. Where is his mouth? In heaven. Just like your mouth will be one day. All right? His mouth is in heaven. So is he saying anything in the earth today? No, he's not. Why? Because at the end of 40 days after he was resurrected, he ascended and went to heaven. He is no longer declaring things here in the earth. Now, he will one day when he comes back, but for the moment, he's not. Are you listening to me? Okay. So he is not speaking on the planet earth right now, but he is talking in heaven at God's right hand. Now, Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. This is so very important, and this is such a powerful truth. All right, look at what Romans 8, 34 says. Who is he that condemns? Is it Christ who died and furthermore is also risen? The answer is no. It's a rhetorical question. Who is even, Jesus, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So, Jesus is in heaven speaking. He's not in earth speaking. Okay? Who has the mouth here on earth? You do. Okay? We do. So, what this verse is saying and what those other two verses in Hebrews is saying is this. Jesus is talking in heaven. And what our responsibility is, is to homologia what he's saying in heaven over our lives and in our lives here in the earth. Jesus is not going to come down from heaven and declare things over your life for you. You can hook up with him and declare what he's declaring over your life here in the earth. Are, are you getting this? In other words, you and Jesus can come into agreement with what he's seated at the right hand of the Father and declaring over you right now, 
you can come into agreement with that and be declaring the same thing that he's talking about in heaven. Why? Because you have the same spirit, the same word that he is, and he sent into the earth living on the inside of you. So what does this mean? If you want God's word spoken over your life, you are going to have to do it. Okay? Write this down, please. If you want the word spoken into your problems here on the earth, then you and I are going to have to speak it. Jesus is not going to come down and speak to your mountain for you. That's why he said, whosoever shall say unto the mountain. If you're not a whatsoever, you're definitely a whosoever. Okay? Jesus gives you the privilege and the right and the authority by faith to be able to speak to your problems here on the earth and, and, and you and I are the ones that are going to have to do it. Now, if you want your problems to change, here's the secret. You're going to have to say what he said or he is saying now. So let me tell you what's going on at the right hand of the Father real quick. Um, when stuff comes up in your life, and you encounter challenges, problems, and things that happen, Jesus is not seated at the right, let's see, he's seated at the right hand of God. He's not looking over at God and saying, oh man, I didn't see that coming. Woo, did you spank that father? How about you, Holy Ghost? Did you, did you see that coming? No, man, I've never seen such a big problem as this right here. I've never seen such a big need as this right here. I have never encountered that depth of a sickness or disease before. I don't, I, Boy, no, Jesus isn't in heaven declaring those kinds of things. You know why? Because if he did, they would come to pass. You know what Jesus is saying? Hey, Father, I know that they're facing a big need right now, but listen, I did everything I could on the cross to provide the avenue and the means for them to have that need fully met. So in, Jesus, in my name, in Jesus' name, I declare that that need is fully and abundantly supplied. So I tell you what, God, let's make all the resources of heaven available so that that need can be met and taken care of. I know that that sickness might be great, Father, but look at the scars upon my back. I took that sickness for them. I bore that disease for them. And by these stripes on my back, they are healed. Now, see, that's only half of what needs to happen. What needs to be furthered is you declaring what he is declaring and has declared over you. Man, I hope you're getting this. Okay? See, look at this. Write this down. Last thing. We have the assurance that whatever we say from the word of God over our lives, that Jesus is in heaven. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> <clears throat> pardon me, that Jesus is in heaven backing us saying the same thing. When you stand up and you say, listen, I know this need might be great, but in Jesus' name, I, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let me tell you what happens in heaven when you stand up and declare that. Jesus backs what you just said in heaven. Remember, he's the apostle and high priest. He takes what you just said before the Father and presents it to the Father. And then on top of that, all of heaven comes to attention because God's people are 
are declaring what the Father has already said and angels begin to go to work to cause what you said to come to pass. They began to work so stuff happens for you. Why? Because you're not declaring what you think, what the world says. No, you're declaring what God has said. Now that is the confession unto faith. Now there's an added depth to that that we're going to talk about to, uh, next week where Jesus said, as I've already quoted a couple of times, that if you will believe what you say comes to pass, you can have what you say. Now, that's awesome right there. All right. How would you like, and, and, and I don't, you know, listen, I don't think Jesus did random. He didn't say stuff just to fill up ink and paper. He didn't say stuff just to kill time with the disciples. No, if he said it, it's true. So he wouldn't have said that if he didn't mean for us to walk in it. Okay? So I believe that when you deposit the word down in your heart and you confess the word of God and you speak the word of God and you speak the word of God, you're building the capacity in your heart for you to believe that word. And then when you speak that word by faith, it will come to pass. That's God's plan. Can I say something to you real quick? This is my second closing, okay? Have you ever noticed, just as a little side thought, okay? Adam and Eve, well, first of all, God creates the Garden of Eden, right? If you know anything about the Bible and the Garden of Eden, it was only one patch of ground somewhere, theologians and historians believe, somewhere around in the area which is somewhere in the Middle East, you know, some say in modern day Iraq, you know, all that. But anyway, so God creates this garden. The earth is untouched. God creates this garden and puts his, his man and his woman in the garden. And he turns to the man and he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have complete dominion and authority and I want you to replenish the earth. You know what Adam's responsibility was? And of course he messed up, but you know what his responsibility was? Is to do what God modeled for him and finish the job of replenishing the whole earth. In other words, take what you know and the Garden of Eden and spread that all around the entire planet. How? Exactly how God did it. What did God do when he wanted to change something? spoke, used his words. Matter of fact, the Bible says when God created the man, he took him, formed him of the, the clay and the dirt of the earth, stood there, stood him in front of him. And the Bible says that he breathed into him. The, the King James says the breath of life. Matter of fact, in the Hebrew, it's breath of lives. It's plural. And then it says in the Hebrew, and the Hebrew sages say this, that when he breathed into Adam, Adam became a speaking spirit just like God. Now he lost that when he sinned. But guess what? Jesus came to get it back. Amen? 
Have I helped you at all today? I, I've preached myself happy, I, you know, whether I've helped you or not. All right. So I don't know about you, but I'm going to double up on the word I'm speaking over my life. It might get it down into my heart. All right. Now, next week, as I said, we're going to look at this thing and we're talking about how do you put your faith to work by your words and by your actions. So I'm going to, we're going to get into this a little bit deeper next week. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.